Welcome to the Church in the Peak podcast. We hope you enjoy this message. For more information, visit churchinthepeak.org or come and join us at 10am every Sunday. Yeah, Father, we thank you. We thank you so much, Lord, for Vicky, Lord. We pray for your words to touch our hearts, Lord. Thank you, Lord, that you've softened our hearts to hear your word, Lord. And I pray, Lord God, that we will hear loud and clear what the Spirit is saying to the people of God. And I pray that you will use Vicky, Lord, this morning in Jesus' name. Bless her in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Hello. Um, so, oh, I'm very loud. Um, I've had this message, or the bones of it, since last November, and I can tell you that because I wrote it down in my prayer journal. Um, and it just didn't feel quite right, so I just sort of jo- wrote it down and knew I was coming back to it at some point. Um, and then two weeks ago, I was sitting over there, and God suddenly said, okay, it's time now. And I spoke to Phil at the end and said, can we stick me on the preaching road? She went, yep, no problem. <laughs> I thought, oh, heavens, he hasn't even, even asked me what it's about. <laughs> Responsibility. This is a surprise. I could say anything now. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> a few weeks ago, I popped up to the front and shared um, a thought that I'd had, an analogy that I'd had for a while, um, and that is thinking of the world as a giant cult. And it is. It's not even an analogy. It's true. Um, we have all been born into this cult of essentially evil, of sin. It's a broken world. And we've been born thinking that that is acceptable, that that is right, that that's the way of doing things. And we've grown up understanding the laws of nature, if you like. Um, Things like survival of the fittest. Things like um, it doesn't really matter what you do as long as you end up in the right place. And things like that, even though you might not think that you believe that, they've they've kind of been ingrained into you from an early age. And it's like you've been rescued. Well, it's not even like it. You have been rescued. I have been rescued from that cult. Think of desperate parents who are trying to save their children who've been taken in by a you know a weird cult in the wilderness of America I can't I keep thinking I as soon as you say Waco say cult my brain goes Waco because that's my reference point but there are lots of others I'm sure Um, imagine that your child was in Waco before the siege and the fire and everybody died. How much money would you have paid to send someone in to rescue them and bring them out? Because you would give everything, wouldn't you? If you if you knew that you could send someone in with the power and the skills and the knowledge to go in and bring out your child, you would do it. And that is what God did for us. He sent someone in, someone powerful, someone who could go undercover, who paid the ultimate price, but he rescued us from that cult where we had been brainwashed into thinking that all of those, you know, survival of the fittest and do whatever you need to do to come out on top, all of that stuff 
pleasure is everything, short term is everything, um, all of those things that we thought we think those are truth and they're not. And then I thought, what happens to that child who's been rescued from the cult afterwards? Because they're not just going to walk out and go, oh, brilliant, thank you very much, mum and dad, that's great, cheers, are they? They've, they've taken on all of those things as being true. They've been completely brainwashed. And then there's going to be that, that period of, of massive recovery, of transformation, if you like, where effectively they've got to reshape all of their thinking to relearn what is actually true. And we have to do the same thing. So the title of my talk this morning is either How to Have a Transformed Mind or the slightly more flippant version, Waco Neuroplasticity and the Presence of God, which I've had written in my prayer diary for months. <laughs> With a little note that says underneath, I can't wait to tell Phil that I'm going to speak about this. <laughs> what I'm taking as my central text is a verse that I have not been able to get away from for months, and that is Romans 12. Verse 2. Now, you can use whatever translation you like, and I tend to use the NLT for most of my stuff, but I cannot get away from the NIV version of this. So the NIV says, Do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. And that word transformed in Greek, that is metamorphosis. That is the same process by which a caterpillar turns into a chrysalis and inside the chrysalis essentially turns into a big pile of slime and then reforms itself into a butterfly. That is the same level of transformation that our brains have to go through and it's a process that takes the rest of our lives but what I am going to try and do is give you a very simple little framework for how some of the mechanics of how God might be doing that. Now, Phil spoke last week about how he likes having visual aids, and I did, I promise, mean to spr uh, not spring this on people, but I have completely forgotten about it. So I am going to shamelessly spring this on the elders <laughs> to use them as my visual aid. So I was thinking, well, what... It says, do not conform to the patterns of this world. What patterns? And as that word patterns keeps making me think about sort of brain pathways. So I thought we'd have a little look at how our brains actually work. And I've got three main bits of brain. I'm going to imagine that we are all one big brain. And the three key bits are going to be represented by our three wonderful gentlemen at the front. Okay. Nobody's running away screaming, so I'll assume that I've got permission. Please do not, you know. <laughs> um, uh, implied consent is not usually a thing, but in this case, I'm going with it. So, we have three bits of brain that we're going to focus on. This is the very, very oversimplified version of neuroscience. We have the amygdala. Now, the amygdala is a little almond that's kind of about two inches in that, that way. And that is the bit that, it, it's basically got one function. It's got a big red button and it has to decide whether to press it. 
So I thought, who gets excitable and a bit (laughs) impulsive? And I looked at the three of them and I thought, I'm going to go with Dave. (laughs) So Dave, you are being the amygdala. You can stand up or... Yes, that would be lovely. So Dave's job in our brain is that he's going to evaluate whatever situation we find ourselves in and he's going to decide whether he needs to press his big button and either fight or run away. So that's his job. He's only got one job. It's to decide, is this a situation where we have to fight or whether we're going to run away? And if it's not any of those things, he's going to sit there and have a little snooze. Okay? So that's his job. And if he presses his big red button, then we get flooded with adrenaline. We you know, want to take on the world. Uh, everything narrows so you can only see what's in front of you. Or you get superhuman strength and you can out-sprint the tiger. Okay? Less helpful if you're sitting in a car and you get road rage because then you get flooded with adrenaline and you want to bash the horn and you want to shout and wave your arms out the window. It's the same response. It's Dave with his big red button. Okay? So then we have another bit of the brain, the hippocampus, so-called because it looks like a little tiny seahorse. I hope I'm painting a lovely picture for you. And the function of the hippocampus is that it stores the memories and it refers, it sort of goes, oh, I remember, this is a bit like a situation that we encountered back in 2002. So I thought, who thinks, who talks about, you know, the old days at church and, oh, I remember when we, before we had Chesterfield. So I thought, that's going to have to be Phil. So Phil, you are now the hippocampus. So... Congratulations. So Dave is evaluating the situation that we found ourselves in, whatever it is, and thinking, do I need to press this button? And then Phil is feeding into Dave information like, ah, do you remember we did this ages ago and it was really bad, so press the button. (laughs) This is a bit like when you were a kid and you got shouted at and it was really bad, press the button. Okay, and this happens really quickly. And then... After a, you know, a couple of seconds of rage or whatever is going on, the third bit of the brain, Neil's paying attention now because he knows on a process of elimination it's really got to be him. You'll like this. <laughs> so the third bit of the brain is the prefrontal cortex, so it's the bit kind of here. And that's the bit that is taking everything under consideration. It's, it's like the chief executive. So it's seeing what the other two bits have done, and it's going, uh, now, guys, really, we're just in a car. They just cut us up. It's fine. Just chill. <laughs> okay, out of the car. We're not in a car. <laughs> And depending on what's gone before, depending on how you've lived your life, what your childhood was like, what 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 your parents were like, all of those things will depend on how loud each bit of the brain can shout. So it may be that, you know, you had a really difficult childhood and nobody was able to model really good behaviours to you and and you didn't have a good attachment to your parents and all of those dreadful things that mean that you don't have 
the proper foundations, that those circuits haven't been set up right, in which case the amygdala with the big red button, is pressing it all the time. And you're flooded with adrenaline and, and things make you panic where other people might not panic. It's not your fault. It's just that that big red button is primed and the hippocampus is, is feeding in all of that information of this is just like, do you remember, this is just like when, we were, when, you, when you were a kid. This is just like when you were at school. This is just like when so-and-so was really awful. And it just keeps going on. And it takes a while for the prefrontal cortex, for Neil, thank you, uh, to come in. And he might not have a very loud voice. He, he might, I know, I really, I didn't, get, I didn't get that one very well, did I? But he might not be able to say, calm down. This is, you don't need to apply this here. You're overreacting. He just might be drowned out. Okay? Thank you very much, guys. So now we're going to do a little bit of neuroplasticity, and I know this is not what you're expecting on a Sunday morning. But don't worry, it's not going to be too technical. I'm going to mention one concept, which is called Hebb's Law. This is not, you know, who gets to the bar first has to pay or anything like that. This is cells that fire together, wire together. Okay? Lots of you will have heard of this. So basically, if you are firing off down the same pathways, those brain cells will tend to link up. So if you think of your brain as being a bit like um, an old allotment that's all overgrown, you take on an allotment and it's completely, you know, it's up to here with brambles and bracken and, and nettles and all sorts of things, and there's no clear path through anywhere. Um, as you start to go one particular way, you cut a little path, don't you? Or you might start digging one little bit and you make a clear path. The more and more often that you go that way, the more well-trodden that path gets. Your brain is exact, doing exactly the same thing. The more often you think a particular thought, the more clear cut, the more well-trodden that pathway gets. And this is where I came back to conforming to the patterns of this world because the patterns of this world have set up pathways in our heads, in our brains, that say things like, doesn't matter what you have to do as long as you get there. And we've got those things clear-cut in our heads. I don't know, whatever your, you know, you will know what your sort of besetting sin, your personal weak spot is, but you've got a pathway in your head that if you keep giving in and keep thinking about that and keep giving it attention, it will go from a little tiny footpath that you've had to edge along between the nettles to a great big six-lane motorway that you can just tear along as soon as you think it, as soon as that you're reminded of that thing, whatever it is, you just go along that, that pathway and it takes you straight to your destination. It's easy. The converse of that is that if you ignore it, if you don't pay it attention, it starts to shrink, but it takes time. And so we end up with this mechanism in our heads that God's put there because he created them. He created our brain as being the most complex structure that we currently know about in the universe, your brain in your head. And he's put this mechanism in so that 
if we are paying God attention in, in the moment, we can only do it in the present, that's all we've got, the more that I consciously seek him out in this moment right now, the more that those cells in my brain wire together and form a little pathway that gets bigger and bigger over time and gives me spiritual ears to hear his voice. I've, I, I bet I'm not alone, but I'm not going to make you put your hands up. I've certainly gone through periods in my life where I have not wanted to hear the voice of God. I have actively, sort of spiritually stuck my fingers in my ears and gone, la, 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 not listening. Um, and over a period of time, it becomes progressively easier to ignore him, doesn't it? Uh, I'm getting a few nods. People know what I'm talking about. You can walk away and you can ignore him. Now, every so often, God does something splendid and pulls us back. Thank heavens for that, or a load of us would have walked away years ago. Um, But the mechanism in our head is that if we're not paying attention, those paths will just get overgrown again. But, hooray, praise God, the opposite is true. The more that we pay attention to him, the easier it gets. My spiritual ears are growing, and I can hear his little voice more and more easily. And again, I'm getting nods of people, under, of people going, yeah, actually, you know, if you do, if you try and listen to him, if you intentionally spend time with him, over time, it gets easier to hear. Yeah, that's what we're meant to do. We are hardwired to experience God. Praise him. (laughs) That's the basic concept of my message today, but we will just elaborate on it a little bit more. So that concept of being hardwired for God... He's always making, asking us to make a choice, isn't he? He's, ask, he's not forcing us to pay, him att- to pay attention to him. Um, and indeed, whatever we pay attention to is where we start making those pathways and we focus our attention and we build up our treasure. Um, when you start, when you, well, the last few weeks, as I've been thinking about this, I've been reading the Bible and just going, oh, yeah, 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 it all kind of fits together. Um, a couple of verses, I mean, I, I could have brought loads and loads of Bible verses to, to bear on this, but I thought I would just uh, bring a few examples. So Ephesians 4.23 says, let the Spirit renew your thoughts and attitudes. Um, 2 Corinthians 10.5 says, we capture rebellious thoughts and teach them to obey God, teach them to obey Christ. Uh, And Philippians 4 verse 7 says, his peace will guard your hearts and minds as you live in Christ Jesus. Now, so God is really in the business. He's really keen to protect our minds and change them, metamorphosize them from the caterpillar into the butterfly. And it's a process that takes time. It's, It's often usually not instant. I know he, the Holy Spirit does miraculous things sometimes. Brilliant. I think the more common pathway is that through our lives, we are being slowly transformed into that true self. Um, 
and a lovely example I found of the hardwired for God concept is um, somebody had done a study where they put AA members into an MRI machine and did fMRI, which is where they're following, they're looking at um, the blood supply to your brain. So you can see second by second which bit of the brain is activated because you can see where the blood's going. Uh, and they, so they put these AA members into the scanner and they showed them pictures of pubs and pints and bottles of whiskey and things like this. Um, and, and obviously, all the craving centers in their brain lit up like little flashlights. So then they let them calm down for a bit. Uh, then they put them back into the scanner asked them to pray because a lot of AA is, is very Christian-based. And so they said, you know, while you're there, pr- we want you to pray. Really pray. You know what, you, we're going to show you the same pictures. Pray about it. Um, and they noticed that when they showed them the same pictures of, you know, whiskey and vodka martinis and things like that, uh, the, the craving centers didn't light up at all. The amygdala was switched off, um, couldn't press its big red button. Um, the fight or flight response was switched off uh, and that the bits of your brain that help you to feel connected, help you to feel connected to God and feel connected to the world were activating. So, you know, hooray, we can actively demonstrate the power of prayer by brain imaging. Hooray. So let's come back to the thought of our, th- you don't have to stand up again, our three bits of brain. And then you s- I started to think, well, where does the Holy Spirit come in? And I found a lovely article written by uh, a Christian neuroscientist who had written a book in conjunction with a non-Christian neuroscientist. And they had both agreed that there was a bit of your brain that they called the wise advocate. And the Christian said, well, I know what this is. Obviously, it's the Holy Spirit. And the non-Christian said, well, it can't be the Holy Spirit because that's a load of guff. But I'm not entirely sure where it's coming from in your brain. But what it's doing is just kind of saying, do you want to think about this? Don't you think that that might be a, a wrong pathway? Do you think that you might be a bit mistaken here? It's being a wise advocate. It's just they can't explain where it's coming from. But we know. And so isn't it wonderful that we've got this mechanism that God has built a setup in our brain where he can act on each of those levels, that whatever has happened in our past, however our brains have been shaped from our childhood, from our parenting, from anything that's gone before, however excitable your amygdala is and you get panicky and anxious or full of rage and full of anger, that the Holy Spirit can act on that He can calm it down. He can stop Dave from hitting his big red button. He can act on the hippocampus and rebuild those memories. You can build new memories in conjunction with the Holy Spirit that allow you to then alter your thoughts and your actions going forward. And he's whispering into your prefrontal cortex, into that bit of you that really is kind of your thinking self, He's whispering into there with all of his thoughts. And the more that we try and focus our attention and listen to them, the more that we hear them. And over time, all of those things 
praise God, we're becoming more and more like the true selves that he wants us to be. We're, bec- we're coming to a point where we can stand before God being effectively transparent because there is nothing that we want to hide anymore. We know that he's seen it all and accepted it all and loves us all. I've nearly finished. Um, so, so where are we at? Um, the answer then to how do you have a transformed mind is, I think, kind of fourfold. One is that you just keep looking to him. And over time, he changes the structure of your brain so that it's easier to do that. Hooray. Um, We know that there is a physical change that can happen because of that. The more that you starve out the bad habits, the more they they dwindle away. The more that you look to God, the more that you see him. The more that you listen for him, the more that you hear him. It says it in the Bible, seek and you will find. No, I'm not, this, this is nothing new. I'm just using different language. And lastly, you're not supposed to introduce a new concept when you're summing up, but I am going to. Um, Jenny spoke a while ago at our small group about the um, parable of the wise and foolish young women, other, sometimes known as wise and foolish virgins, that there were these young women who were being bridesmaids and they were waiting for the groom to arrive. And some of them had spare oil for their lamps, and some of them didn't. And, the one, and then the groom arrives, and the ones who didn't have any spare oil go, oh, but I've run out now. Um, I need to go and buy some. And they weren't ready to go into the feast, and they couldn't. But the ones who were ready, had spare oil, went in and joined the feast. And I've always thought about that. I kind of, I've, just, I've not really thought about it very much. I've always assumed that that was referring to like Jesus coming for the second time and, you know, are you going to be ready? And it kind of does, but it also is talking about just in life. Are you ready for the move of the Spirit? Are you in a place where if the wave of the Holy Spirit comes at that point, are you ready to catch it? Are you going to surf with it? Are you going to, using a different metaphor, are you going to soar on eagle's wings on the thermals of the Holy Spirit blowing wherever it chooses? Or are you not ready because you haven't been paying attention and, you weren't, and you're not in the right place to catch that wave? And I think some of that is quite a hard lesson for me. You know, it's, it's really made me think. Um, but that's my prayer this morning, that... In each moment, whenever I, I can intentionally look for God in the present moment. Whenever I think about it, I can think, God, where are you in this moment? Um, and knowing that in doing that, he is changing the structure of my brain to be able to see him more clearly and to hear him more clearly. And that in doing that, I am in exactly the right place to catch his wave and go wherever the Spirit takes me. Um, That's my prayer for me this morning. It's my prayer for you guys as well. And and I hope that, you know, we're all ready to join in on that adventure. Thank you. Very good. Should we just stand? Because... 
I don't want to miss out on the opportunity or to hear the voice of God. I don't want to have my, my lamp half full even. I want to be fully filled with the oil of the Spirit. So let's just, there may be, it may be that you are feeling, as, as Vicky explained, that you've, you're in that place where um, you've got your fingers in your ears and la, la, la But now's the time to take those fingers out of your ears to hear the voice of God. But you may also be desperate and hungry for more. So just, just do some business with God. Just come before him and say, Lord, I want more of you, Lord, now. So, Lord, we just pray, come. <laughs> send fire where necessary. Send your, send your water where necessary, Lord. Send laughter, Lord, to break open situations, Lord. Take off blinded eyes, Lord, so that they may see again, Lord. Unblock deaf ears, Lord, all by your spirit, Lord. Amen.